Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Back. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I mean, obviously, I am. Uh, my heart goes out to the people who love, who have lost their homes and their lives mm-hmm. in the in the fire uh, and the fi- multiple fires here in in California. Um, it's it feels weird to be like perfectly safe and be like yeah the air complaining about the air quality but the air quality is terrible yes. and it's even worse up north by the campfire you and i were just talking about this off off air um so uh we are hoping for a uh speedy and as safe as possible end yeah to this fire and hopefully we'll get a reprieve for a few months before it's fire season again because that's uh our world now yeah and it's and you know it's if i if i find myself sitting in traffic for a while, I start to get angry at a person that I can't visualize because in my mind, this can be like the bad traffic or whatever can be traced back to one person that made a bad decision. Um, like <laughs> one guy decided I need to be over there. Right. And so swerved caused an accident or whatever it is. And now we're all going to be late. Uh-huh. And so now that is probably not what always happens. Uh, but that's, it makes it easier for me by easier. I mean, in, intensely emotionally harder, but in the case of these fires, it's like, well, fires don't just happen. Like a tree wasn't struck by lightning and now there's a fire somewhere. I like in my mind. And I think it's, it, it's probably true. Someone somewhere was careless and in a very dry area. And I know that's probably not necessarily true, but it's not necessarily true. Cause sometimes they're, um, uh, strong winds knock down power lines and the power lines sure. start, uh, sure. a, a fire. Um, in fact, I've been reading about, uh, whoever, I guess water and power, whoever, whatever mm-hmm. companies do the, uh, are in charge of lines in these sorts of places, um, instituting a policy of just, in high wind situations, preemptively shutting off power to people, yeah. which uh, a lot of people would be unhappy about. But if it prevents fires, yeah. that that could work too. It's, it's like a lot of different. You're things. on. You're, you'll be unhappy in your house that is not on fire. Yeah. So that's because a, it's. That's I'm, I'm obviously we talk about climate change a lot, and climate change is definitely a contributing factor here. But there's also the fact that we keep building homes closer and closer to the woods and forests here in California, and yeah. Uh, people just living their lives create sparks and you know um like i i don't i don't begrudge somebody wanting to live especially if it's someone if it's a nicer house and it's someone who has some money maybe some fame it's like i want to live kind of out kind of secluded away from people it's understandable but at the same time and i don't think that it's necessarily dumb but like jen was asking me she's like do you think we would ever where we are now be in danger of a fire and i said no I not mean, right not, here. There's just too much. It's, yeah. There's too much along the way. Yeah. Um, and there, but that's the thing is like at some point when deciding what where you're going to live and you decide I'm going to live in the hills, it's like there are a lot of fires yeah. around here. And again, I don't necessarily I don't think that these people are dumb or anything like that. But I just I don't I would never risk it myself. 
because then it's just like you lose everything. Now, ideally, you get your family out, you get your pets out, so you're not losing any lives. But then you have to just completely right remake yeah. your life, which you know might be fun. But you, uh, everyone picks their poison, I guess. Yeah. If, uh, I mean, you and I chose to move to a place where there is going to be an earthquake. Oh yes, like, there's no question. Yeah. Um, so uh, and it's different. Yeah, it's different in different places. Obviously, some people don't get to pick. Some people who don't have the means that we have to be able to right. move across the country, they live all their lives in earthquake country or in tornado alley or in tsunami Freezing climates. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Uh, all of these things. So, um, the, yeah, the world I, is an awful place. Yeah. yeah the, that's something you and I were talking about. Off mic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the older I get, the more I understand the term you pick your poison. Uh-huh. Like I really get it now that it's just, you know, uh, like I, I accepted a, a job starting next semester and I'm super, thank you. I'm very excited about it. And it's way the hell out east. And I have a long drive. And on one hand, I'm super thrilled to have the job. On the other hand, I predict, you know, a, mo- a moment ago when I was talking about traffic and how angry it makes me, yeah. I predict next semester, uh, a lot of this show is going to start with like, hello and welcome aboard. <laughs> Fuck. Like I'm just going to get so angry all the time, but you, you know, need to get an apartment near work like Pete Campbell. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. A little, uh, a little pied a terre in Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> <laughs> I have thought of that. And it, cause I know that's something that some people do. Um, yeah. And I just can't imagine it. It just seems so, not inherently sleazy, but uh, there's a high sleaze potential there. Sure, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, that's what I. If I, I've said before, you know, I I lived alone for a couple years of my life. I'm glad I did it, mm-hmm. but I'm also glad that I don't still live alone because I do have a tendency to go to seed a little bit, which is not the same. I'm not filthy. I kept my apartment clean. Right. What I mean is, there's no one to be embarrassed about drinking an entire six pack in front of if you're like if you live alone it's just like hey i'm gonna watch some will and grace reruns and apparently get hammered that's what i used to do after work sometimes you can always text me and i will shame you (laughs) no problem at all Uh, but now i live with someone and uh i have for quite a long time now um and that's great loving that uh that's not even what we were going to talk about though it is you had something else on your mind yeah so uh so in the college class that I'm teaching, we arrived at uh, the chapter on director's style, which yeah, another way of putting that is concept, you know, auteur concepts and that kind of thing. And so, um, so I chose, as I, as I mentioned last week, uh, I chose to talk about to, to rather than talk about a number of different directors, I chose to pick one and really focus in, and that was Tim Burton. It's Wait, not, did you talk about that on the air last week? Well, because during the movie journal, I talked about watching oh, Batman right. Returns. That's right. Okay. Um, Sorry, I was thinking we had another conversation with Kristen and Jake after we right. wrapped up about yes. the auteur theory. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, thank you to Kristen and Jake for being on the show last week. Absolutely. It, was a, it was a blast, and it's gotten. Um, uh, it seems to be getting a lot of uh, people are paying attention to it, I guess. Well, that's the thing about film Twitter is, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe this is maybe this is why an argument for you and I uh, leaping into it. Um, <laughs> maybe, or maybe it's not going to happen. It's fine. Um, and so uh, can I tell you? OK, we'll get to the topic eventually right. to your topic and the yeah. eventual topic. Um, 
Yeah, I did. Um, I had a great time at the AFI Fest. We'll talk about it some more later <clears throat> in a couple weeks. Uh, when uh, post Thanksgiving, we'll do our, th- our AFI Fest wrap up with Scott. Um, but I did meet some like of Scott and Jake's like film Twitter friends and they're great. Like I, I really enjoyed talking to them, but it also was like, Mm. Oh, this is film Twitter come to life because it's a very specific thing. I noticed them doing. Okay. And then I, this, this show is called battleship pretension. I'm not sure that even I could pull this off. Okay. The thing where instead of referring to a film by its name, you refer to it as the last name of director. Like, Oh, have you seen the regattas yet? Have you seen the Hong? We're in line for the Hong. I'm seeing the Hong. I saw the, seeing the Strickland tonight, the Hong tomorrow. (laughs) Like I kept, uh, I kept like kind of like shooting looks at Scott or Jake, but I was like, Oh no, they're, they're They're, a part of this. (laughs) They do this too. Um, No, you're the, you're the sucker at the, uh, (laughs) at the poker table, David. Um, so that was, I, I make, this is gentle ribbing because I made, I really, this was AFI fest is weirdly, I think just through happenstance of what the movies I picked ended up being the most social film festival for me I've ever Hmm. been to. I I tend to like go to film festivals and spend, hours or days at a time not speaking a word to anyone except for like a bartender occasionally um uh and <laughs> to here, which you say like hey can you turn it on well and grace actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah um uh so yeah i had a great time making friends at afi fest uh but that was just a little thing i noticed that i um haven't said out loud to anyone yet because i, I was because natalie wouldn't care and no one else i know besides you would find it funny Funny is a word for it. Um, no, it's. Uh, I mean, I've never really been to. I've never been to a film fest. I've been to the International Christian Film Festival, but I'm always like manning my table or giving a talk or something. I don't really see any of the movies. Um, the the closest I can come to it is something like a Comic Con or a WonderCon, and Comic Con especially much more so than WonderCon. I would say the the social element of it is something that I really like, and so mm-hmm. I didn't go to Comic Con this year and I missed it. Yeah. Uh, the idea of just like you do your stuff during the day and then you hang out with people in the evening and talk about what you did and just talk about stuff in general. I like that a lot. And so, uh, the idea of going to like AFI fest and talking with people afterwards up until this moment sounded kind of fun. Right. Uh, But there's also no afterwards of the film festival. I guess that's true. Yeah. Because you know, especially on the weekends, there's midnight movies and they start in the next morning. There's it's, it's not afterwards it's in between. And it's, if you happen to either have, a spare moment or happen to end up in line with someone, you know? So that's why I'm saying this was this time around was kind of just kismet that I kept being in line with people that I was friends with. Okay. Uh, anyway, but sorry, back to Tim Burton right now. Tim Burton is not necessarily my favorite director. I don't know why I said necessarily. He's not my favorite director. (laughs) Uh, I do like a lot of what he has done and he's made a number of movies that I return to over and over again. Uh, one of the most notable, uh, not most notably, one of, one of them being Sleepy Hollow, which I recognize is not great, but I come back to it a lot. I really enjoy what he's doing with that movie. Um, I recognize that Edward Scissorhands or Batman or certainly Ed Wood uh, are his better movies, but I do enjoy Sleepy Hollow a lot. Anyway, the point is, um, so I was talking about, you know, 
background in German expressionism and that sort of thing. Uh, and somebody mentioned uh, Dumbo. Mm-hmm. That is coming out next year, I believe. Yeah. Um, and this happened to coincide with the the trailer that March was just 29th released. Is when it comes out, I think. To, weird that you know that the trailer came out today okay so i didn't watch the trailer but i know what the release date is i did watch the trailer and uh gross um i don't I, watch trailers anymore um unless i'm they're playing before a movie i've said I'm, that before i'm more interested i sound in, like one of those snobs who says the i didn't see the yeah, trailer from the new burton the new burton um, <laughs> well, i don't like that at all um, <laughs> this, is, this is my character now um, um but uh here's my thing with these disney with like the jungle, the John Favreau jungle book. Yeah. And then it's, there's an Aladdin coming up. Right. But the jungle book in particular, and I guess I think it applies to Dumbo too, is like live action is very much in quotes. Like, yeah, I mean the jungle book is, has to be like more than half animated or computer generated. Oh, yeah. Way more. I, I mean, say. just the background, like they pointed a camera at some woods and then filled everything in later. Yeah. <clears throat> there is so, a human uh, character. Uh, yeah, that's true. Alone human character. Yeah, you know, there's a new Mowgli movie coming out. I did know that. Yeah, directed by Andy Serkis. By Andy Serkis, which yeah. is interesting to me. I uh, can't wait. Um, um, but uh, yeah, so that was just seeing the stills from the trailer. I was like, it's another one of these. Yeah. This isn't like, and I it's, think it's a fake looking elephant. And I think honestly, I think that that could warrant its own uh, its own episode at this point. Is the idea of like as. It, not unlike uh, with Avatar, which won Best Cinematography, and yet so much of its camera movement, p- with quotes around it, is done. It was conceived and executed in a computer. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like the yeah. more computer. My question is: Does the director of photography oversee that? Do you know I, I mean? would assume they do, because like I, I complain about color timing, just and digital digital immediate and color grading and stuff like that being way overused. But at least that is still something the DP is yeah is overseeing and signing off on yeah. uh, in most cases. I would assume that yeah that the the DP I th- and I think we've talked about on the show before that after a certain point you just have to be like okay it's not the camera it's the eye it's the director's right. eye the cinematographer's eye whatever you want to say. But anyway along those lines like it, something as CGI becomes more a function of character and less, uh, not less action or environment or something like that. Uh, and it, beca- as it becomes more integrated, like it's, it's, it's hard to use the term live action. Like it, you almost just want to be like something that's not quite so obviously animated. That's, but that's <laughs> a bit cumbersome to say. Um, but no, the, the, but what I ultimately wanted to talk about briefly is just this realization that as I was discussing Tim Burton with my class, I mean, of course I'm talking about Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood. Yeah. And then with, and, and, uh, Batman returns with the occasional Sleepy Hollow and Sweeney Todd and stuff like that to uh, point to his, like, German expressionist bona fides. Um, and, like, I mean, I, and I I don't talk about uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Kids. Even though, or like, but or, we liked it. Which, which we, we liked was, for the most part. That well, was yeah. his X-Men, obviously. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, like, I, Dark Shadows and Alice in Wonderland, like, they're just... And he's still, the thing that got me is he's still doing what he's always kind of been doing. And I'm just not, but none of us are excited by it anymore. And I don't know if it's that we got used to it or it just feels 
I feel like maybe it's just that it's perfunctory now. Like I feel like his heart is not in it. Well, this, I mean, this is the problem with any sort of iconoclastic work of culture is eventually it gets co-opted Yeah, and there's, you know, uh, like in the nineties, you've got this rap group dead Prez That's like this, like, strongly vocally almost like violently left wing mm. <laughs> you know um uh uh group and now like yeah their commercials in like or their songs are in like commercials yeah. now you know uh, and that's the problem and it, like everything eventually like i not to sound like a high schooler but like the system always eventually wins because it just yeah. takes everything in and so tim burton might still be doing his thing but his thing doesn't feel new or dangerous anymore right um, the last film I, of his I was excited about was Sweeney Todd. And I think it's because it was rated R and it was unabashedly violent and gory. Like it seemed like it okay. seemed like something a studio wouldn't want to exist. But here's what I think the problem is to compare it to ba- keep comparing it to bands. Okay. Cause I think we do end up those of us who are, uh, you know, critics or people who spend a lot of time thinking and talking about popular culture, um, do tend to reach a, reach these consensuses, uh, as we talked about on the, uh, uh, the podcast last week. Um, and so it becomes like REM is a, per- a perfect example. And I'm, this is top of mind of mine because I was just talking about this with my wife that like the, the, uh, the, the consensus, the general wisdom is that like, if you're, if you know REM, if you like REM, that means you like the 80s stuff up until the early 90s, like up until like mm-hmm. Out of Time and Automatic Replete for the People. It's kind of like the end of it. And then the, they became big at that point. And then the narrative is like they were, they were never as good again. And I do think there's something to that. Like the 80s stuff is all very, very good. Like, But I also think what we end up doing is then denying ourselves the ability to admit that they still did good stuff later. It's sort sure. of like the, uh, sure. train spotting, you mm-hmm. know, uh, sick boys theory that when it comes to artists, first you've got it, then you lost it, then it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. And then Ritten says, uh, cause he, he's naming people and he says, Lou Reed and mm-hmm. Ritten says, Lou Reed, some of his solo stuff's not bad. And sick boys like, Hey, it's not bad, but it's not great right. either. And I feel like that's kind of a bad way of thinking about things because REM put out albums like, new adventures in hi-fi and up, which came out when I was in like early high school, both of those that I think are really, really good albums that have like good yeah. songs on them, but they're just sort of like at the, at the, at the door, they're set aside. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I do, that's as much as I will openly talk shit about, um, some of Tim Burton's, uh, later stuff and say that I'm not interested in this Dumbo yeah. quote unquote live action thing. I, still going in. I try to go into, into every Tim Burton movie um, or any movie hoping that this is a, a good one. And I do feel like Miss um, Peregrine is better than pe- we, people give it credit for because yeah. we don't talk about it because the narrative is that Tim Burton's lost it. I also, I've been a defender of the full, the feature length animated Frankenweenie since it came out. I Which think it's a, I haven't seen. Uh, I think it's a surprisingly personal film. Um, Go ahead. In talking about this, do you? I'll I'll say this. uh, You know, none of us like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, and yet, I admire in 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 the context of this conversation, I admire it so much more uh, because when you realize that Tim Burton started working with Disney and remaking these old classics and that sort of thing, uh, and he suddenly became shockingly safe. Uh huh. 
So within that context, it's, it's, it's sort of what you're talking about, which is, okay, they had it, then they lost it. And so then they're sort of in the process of it being lost, but occasionally there are little blips of, oh, hey, look who just showed up again. Mm-hmm. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory from 2005 is so batshit crazy. Like it is so like he he is willing to do things that could potentially alienate an audience. Everything that Johnny Depp is doing, don't get me wrong, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> but the fact but the fact that I don't enjoy it, I think speaks to him and Johnny Depp, yes, enabling each other, but also uh willing to go down a path that one would not immediately assume. And that is the thing that I liked about Tim Burton in the early days. You know, when he said, hey, I want Penguin to basically be an egg that spews green, black, uh, greenish black bile, uh-huh. you know, for kids <laughs> like yeah. it's that is that's him making a decision that no one would have expected. And so when I look at some of his decisions with something like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which, of course, now is 13 years old, but uh, I may not enjoy it. But the, the fact that I even had the option of not enjoying it. Uh, as opposed to something that was just absolutely micromanaged and made all these decisions to be as crowd pleasing as possible. The fact that there, that a lot of us don't be because of very distinct choices that you cannot say, well, the studio obviously wanted Johnny Depp to play the character like that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not true. Uh, and so it's a film that I don't enjoy, but I do admire because it's, it, I feel like it's one of the last gasps of um, Tim Burton asserting himself. Yeah. Uh, and so, I don't know, it's, you know, I, ha- I saw the trailer for Dumbo and it looks treacly and, and yeah. not interesting. <laughs> Thankfully, they, they left out whatever. The, the one hope you have for that is his pink elephant sequence it better be uh-huh. as nightmarish as it can possibly be. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's, it's a shame and I'm not sure exactly because like I said, he's still doing what he's always been doing. And I'm not sure if the issue is me and you and other people who just grew up and got used to it or it just lost some of its soul. Uh, it's maybe both. Yeah, it's all that and and more. My question, the scary question to ponder is what currently iconoclastic young director is going <laughs> to end up making um, lame studio for hire work in 20, 30 years? You know, are we going to get like uh, a live action uh, Little Mermaid from Gaspar Noe? jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought they were doing a live action little murder. Oh, they probably are. Yeah. Um, the, the real one, the one that is absolutely going to more, even more so than the jungle book, the one that is going to fit right into this topic of yours is the live action quote on multiple layers of quotes here. Lion King. Oh, because God. there are no humans there. It's going to be, they shot a countryside, and then made a movie, you know, it's, yeah. uh, that's the one that's, that is going to be like, I think the pinnacle of your argument. Yeah. 
All right, um, let's pay some bills. Absolutely. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi uh, are two films by director Joseph Losey, and it sounds like there's going to be more uh, at the moment. Uh, is there's uh, the criminal Losey's indictment of capitalist contradictions? Uh, Losey had been blacklisted in the 1950s, and this film was his revenge. Also available is the servant, starring Dirk Bogarty, and adapted from the Harold Pinter play. So those are two films to be on the lookout for. One was 1960, the other was 1963, I believe. I don't have it in front of me, uh, but so those are available. And there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's mubi.com slash battleship to redeem now or click on the movie ad at battleshippretension.com. This episode is also brought to you by the Dice Enthusiast Presents Podcast, a new series based around a board game that four roommates played for the entirety of 2017. During that year, they were faced with problems like drug dealers moving in with them, mental breakdowns, infidelity, and a suicide attempt. Uh, a surprisingly personal podcast, Dice Enthusiast Presents, is a prime example of life happening while you're making other plans or trying to play a game. Go to DiceEnthusiast.com or click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com to listen. And I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality uh, earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. And Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. <clears throat> Sorry, I can't talk. I don't know if you can... My, uh, yeah, it's because of the smoke. Yeah, oh, no question about it. Uh, sorry. So we use them each and every day. Um, today, I actually haven't been listening to that much music today. I've been listening to lots and lots of sports podcasts. Because right. um, it's... Who's winning? Uh, <laughs> not the St. Louis Blues. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the St. Louis Blues last night. Oh, this is... Heartbreaking? No, that's not even the, <laughs> because they just suck, and they shouldn't suck. And last night, they finally had... They're the... Worst team at the bottom of the division. Okay. They had a game against the per- the, the team, one ahead of them in, in the division, their rival Chicago Blackhawks. Chicago Blackhawks were on an eight-game losing streak. This should have been like, all right, this is going to, we're going to keep the losing streak going. We're going to pull out of our, 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 our slump. I say our, I'm not on the team, but you know, I'm from St. Louis, whatever. Yeah. Um, no, the St. Louis Blues lost to the Chicago Blackhawks one to nothing. That one goal was a goal that one of our defensemen accidentally kicked into his own net. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sorry to laugh at your team, but that is like, that is yeah, that, like that's, if you're the Blackhawks, you the... take no pleasure in that win at all. <laughs> uh, well, I'm bl- sure they do take pleasure because of, Broken eight great eight game losing streak, sure, but, uh, and because they get to laugh at the St. Louis Blues, which I'm sure Blackhawks fans love. Um, man, it's frustrating. So that's anyway. I'm listening to podcasts about all these sorts of things. Um, I also love. Well, you um, uh, you work with a ride ride sharing concern. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you probably didn't. I don't think this this story, unlike gritty. This this NHL story did not break into the mainstream. Okay, but there were uh, a group of Ottawa Senators players who were in Arizona playing against the Arizona Coyotes, uh, and it was either right bef- the night before, or the night after the game. They were just out to dinner or whatever. Got an Uber back to their hotel, and 
um, were just openly complaining about how much the team sucks and how much they hate their coaches. Their coaches don't know what they're doing. Um, and when it comes to recording people, Arizona is a single party consent law state, which okay. means they don't have to know they're being recorded. Huh. Um, and apparently the story goes, they either didn't tip or gave a low star rating to this Uber driver. And so he <laughs> sent, this video of the Ottawa Senators uh, players complaining about their coach to the Ottawa Citizen, which is the name of the paper in Ottawa, yeah. not just a guy who lives in Ottawa. Right, That's yeah. always very, I need to be very very clear about that. Indeed. Um, and so that was this was uh, over a week ago at this point, but um, that's been the talk of the talk of hockey Twitter. That's uh, fun for a while, um, and it's a very funny story. Now, part of me, when I first heard about it, part of me was like, "Oh fuck that guy, that Uber driver. What's he?" She's looking for attention. And I heard like, Oh, they, they stiffed him on the tip. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I drive for Lyft, obviously I record everybody that gets in the car. Uh, you actually that's just, can't. California is not just, a single party consent state. Look, I do what I want. All right. I'm not going to expose it. I use it just for me. But that's why, do you remember that show? Cranky acres. Yes, that's right. I remember that show. So they had uh, uh, comedy central and the writers would fly people to Las Vegas to do the calls there because you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't record prank calls in California. You have to go to Nevada to do it. So like comedians would talk about like getting to do crank acres was like, I get to do this show and I get to go to Vegas for a couple of days on comedy central design. Um, I had no idea. That's interesting. Anyway. So, uh, anyway, all of this chatter on these podcasts is sounding great on my tweaked earbuds. They're available, uh, at a low, low cost, little price at tweakedaudio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension hi there it's julia louis dreyfus you may know me from my podcast called wiser than me where i talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Tyler? Yes. We're going to get into it in a second. Oh, all right. Um, but I just wanted to note we are half an hour into the episode and just now getting started. And it reminds me, listeners, I meant to tell you, and I guess I meant to actually tell you as well, Tyler, but uh, Battleship Retention is now available on Spotify. Oh, um, hey. you, and I, you and I had talked about it off mic a couple weeks ago, and I forgot to tell you that I followed through on that and it's okay. uh, up on Spotify. And so I was kind of scrolling through and looking at, because it's all, you know, you can just scroll all the way down, and that's something I do very often, and realizing, like, our early episodes, we'd have this big top big idea topics and they'd be like 47 minute episodes yeah. like what what were we thinking we can't even get it takes us 30 minutes to even get to the topic now but anyway this is all by yeah. way of saying you can listen to the show on spotify now um let's get into it shall we indeed uh this is something i was uh, yeah where did this come from i was curious uh you know i don't remember now exactly where it came from because i don't remember how i got to thinking about um the adventures of robin hood with uh errol flynn uh with errol flynn um i can't remember what i was watching anyway whatever (laughs) i was thinking about the adventures of robin hood uh and i was thinking about the idea of action movies because there was also 
you and I both read the AV club. Mm-hmm. There was a column for a while, a great column that is now over called the, a history of violence, which in mm, which the, that's right. the columnist who is now doing the same thing with age of heroes, which is about superhero movies. Okay. But, uh, every two weeks he would write a column going chronologically the best or the most important action movie of every year. And he started in the 1970s. Mm. And I was thinking about the idea that when we talk about the things we tend to think of when we say action movie, which is either like, you know, things like car chases and like Kung Fu and like shootouts and stuff. Most of that does really start in the seventies. Yeah. In doing, uh, research for this episode, um, I, started at the Wikipedia page and it's very interesting, uh, because it's structured much like that where it breaks it down by decade, starting with the 1970s. And then before that, there's a section that simply says early action and it covers everything before 1970. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it uh, it is. And it's not, I mean, it's not unfair. Uh, You know, there aren't as many, right? But, it's also, it is unfair to assume that it starts, you know, the, the French connection. That's, I mean, that's another thing. Uh, I'm going to sound blasphemous here, but I feel like, uh, and maybe, you know, you, uh, you teach people who are much younger than we are, mm-hmm. but like the idea that French connection is a movie that is known for its car chase, you know? Yeah. is kind of funny to me now because I think, yeah, in 1973, is that what your French connection One. is? 71. French connection two is 73. Is that right? Uh, I don't know. I've never you, seen French You might be thinking of Save the Tiger. Um, no, which does uh, have a surprising a number of car chases <laughs> in it. Um, no, uh, so French Connection, yeah, in 1971, I'm sure that was like insane. But I feel like, again, I mean, it's, it's going to be blasphemous to our classic film heads, but like the girl in the spider's web has a better car chase than French connection. Like there are, there are a dozen movies a year that have better car chases than a French connection. French I, connection is really just a camera pointing in a camera pointing out of the car. It's a one car chase, by the way. Yeah. He's chasing a train. Um, no, he's chasing a guy. It, right. But yeah. The guy is on a train, but the train's on a track. So again, you're limiting the number of like yeah. twists and turns you can do. Like, I feel like the car chase has been improved upon so many times that Yes, it is like French Connection is important in the history of car chases. It is an important movie. Yeah. But to to hold it up is like the ideal car chase, I feel like, is being willfully ignorant of all of the uh, car chase technology that has been improved in the 40 years since. I 45 think five years since I think film fans in imbu- seven years since. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think movie fans have imbued that car chase with two things. One is the context of the story, uh, which is, you know, I mean, the nature of any car chase is there's going to be a little bit obsession involved uh-huh. uh, of obsession involved. Um, but the idea that this cop, if it, if it were any other cop is like, ah, he got away. But Popeye Doyle is like, yeah, no, he's not getting away. Mm-hmm. I'm going to continue going all the way down the line, quite literally. Um, and and it makes for that such a satisfying moment when the guy gets off the train and there's Popeye Doyle just sitting, uh, just standing there and just like the look on his face of like, wow, this is not what I expected to happen. <laughs> um, and so like that whole sequence is like this is just a really good visualization of, of the hero's yeah. absolute yeah. 
driving obsession. Um, by which I mean obsession with driving. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, he wasn't even paying attention to the, car, to the train. He was just like, I just wanted to drive for a while. Yeah. So I think people look at it with that. And I think they also look at the insane way that William Friedkin shot it. Like, didn't necessarily have permits for yeah. all of it. So I think people look at it that way. Yeah. I think it becomes infused with like, Oh, this was full on. This was actually dangerous. Yeah. Um, but what year was the first gone in 60 seconds? Oh gosh. I don't even know. Cause I've never actually watched the whole I thing. I feel like that's in the seventies, but I might be wrong. Um, no, I'm pretty sure uh, I was trying to decide, is it before the French connection? It was probably after. Um, cause that's insane. That's what you're talking about there too. Like yeah. it, that's, uh, it's nuts. Um, 74. Okay. Um, so, uh, so, <clears throat> okay. so I want to go back cause I actually glanced at the Wikipedia page too, uh, just to see if there's anything I had missed. And the one that left out of me that I had missed, cause I don't really think of it as an action movie, but the great train robbery kind of des- deserves to be talked about in the sense that it's a violent movie, at least for the time, because a guy gets shot right. and then it has the, shot that Scorsese borrowed for Goodfellas of, yeah. which is still, uh, that's one of those things that is so it, like shocking to me that I don't know. This is an argument for familiarizing yourself with film of previous periods. Is oh, that yeah. You can contextualize it and realize that, yeah, the cowboy pointing the gun at the camera and firing must've been nuts. Yeah. Like no one had seen anything like that before. Yeah. Um, uh, and so there is, there are some elements of action movie to that, but it's not really what I think of when I think of action. Movie. Well, okay. So as I was thinking about this in true battleship pretension fashion, I want to, I want to really dig in and ask, what do we mean when we say action? Because I think one of the reasons that, that people have a hard time saying that, Oh, anything pre 1970 was an action movie is I think for a long time you would find action within genre movies. You would find it in war movies. You would find it in Westerns. You would Mm -hmm. find them in, um, swashbucklers. You know what I mean? Like they were like action movies were almost always called something else and they'd probably, they were probably called adventure as well. But yeah, I've got, uh, and so like, for example, uh, you know, I mean, an argument could be made that any number of Westerns from the thirties, forties or fifties could qualify as action movies. Yeah. Certainly, um, stagecoach has action scenes in it. Although I can't, I know that stagecoach is great, but I can't watch it just knowing that when those horses fall, they're like, (laughs) yeah, they really hurt a lot of horses making that, making a lot of movies of that period. But the stagecoach, the part, where they're being attacked and you keep seeing horses yeah. get shot down. And you realize they're just like tripping these horses with wires and stuff. It's like yeah. stagecoach is impossible for me to watch, unfortunately, um, despite being a great movie otherwise. Um, but yeah, I didn't even think of uh, um, those kind of like chases because I think, and it's surprising I didn't think of that because the thing you ask how I define action, I think in kind of a literal way, I think of movement. Mm-hmm. Um which is why um, something I've longtime listeners of the show have heard me say this a million times. Um, yes, Buster Keaton was one of the great film comedians, but he was also one of the first action stars. Yeah. And the I've general, got a, I've got a few Keaton uh, down here. Yeah. I could have put any number. I just stuck to the general because I think um, like uh, certainly Steamboat Bill Jr. has a lot, has 
action set pieces, but also I think and this is a matter of opinion. I think Steve O'Neill Jr. is funnier than the general. And so I picked the general because I think the general <laughs> has more straightforward action. There's, there's more like Steve O'Neill Jr. Or like, um, um, what's some other ones I'm thinking of? What's the one he's sitting on the, uh, uh, on the motorcycle handles. That's Sherlock Jr. That's Sherlock Jr. Yeah. Like, so that, it has that action, or even uh, Seven Chances with the um, the boulders, boulders rolling yeah. down the hill after him. That's action that's also funny, mm-hmm. whereas, and the general has plenty of that, but the general also has a lot of action that's just, we're kind of like, when you watch the raid now, you know, yeah. and it's like, wow, that's just exciting, it's exhilarating that he did that. It's like Evil Knievel. I think Steamboat Bill Jr. and the general, I would say they have the same number of gags, but because the general, after a certain point in the film, pretty early, all of the gags are related specifically to the train. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's easier to see it as more of like this unified thing and just constant forward momentum, uh, which makes sense. It's the direction the train is traveling. Um, as we've established, trains can only travel. One exactly. Direction. They're like sharks. Um, uh, whereas Steve so Bill Jr. The, so far, our criteria for action movie is has a train in it. Yeah. If it's got a train, <laughs> I think we're good. Uh, there's that Berlancaster movie, the train, obviously the best action movie ever made. Um, Boiled down. <laughs> it's like base components. It's like, it's like a heist. Um, but, um, but yeah, and so I do think that uh, Steamboat Bill Jr., I think that they're both very funny, um, but I feel like the gags in Steamboat Bill Jr. sort of announce themselves more as gags. Not that that's a crime by any stretch. Um, and so, uh, but it's still, but yeah, but those those gags, almost all of Keaton's gags, to keep using the word, sorry, that's what they called them. Yeah, no, um, still what are called in comedy, right? Yeah, they're action oriented they're movement oriented like now what's the difference between a gag and a like a bit is a series of things around one premise right yeah but a gag is one joke yeah it's, right? it could be like or build up within, to, uh, within something it's a it's a single pratfall like okay we okay, need, like right. when someone says like we need more gags in this now they could be talking about within one bit or the overall right. film um okay yeah like we need more you know instantaneous laughs, just something that sometimes is okay. a little bit removed from the, the story or, or sometimes not, but it's, it's, it's sort of the idea. Um, when, uh, Spielberg made jaws and then they go to see, uh, Ben Gardner's boat and the head pops out, uh-huh. uh, in the initial, uh, in the initial filming, the head was already there and they didn't get the surprise. And, Spielberg was like, I can get one more scream out of people. Uh-huh. And it's essentially, he's thinking like a, like a, what they called uh gag men. Uh-huh. They had a big, they had a big, uh, stable of people whose job it was to be like, all right, we have a lull here. We need a gag. And they're like, uh, what about this? Uh-huh. Uh, and this was one they went to a lot with a lot of comedians. A mouse goes up his pant leg <laughs> and crazy and craziness ensues. Um, and along those lines, uh, Harold Lloyd also, I think had a lot of action in his movies. Um, 
Girl Shy feature at the end features a very long, it's not a chase, it's a race against time, but it's him just constantly moving forward. And then like one vehicle breaks down. So immediately has to jump onto another and essentially steal it from someone and then just keep (laughs) moving. Um, and so, but that's, and so that's the thing is that these movies have action, but that's different than an action movie. Um, with the exception of the general, I think because the general is just constantly moving forward and in the midst of it, there's a war going on. I feel like there's enough action yeah. to, to put it at, to assign it that label. Um, okay. So while we're still on the topic of silent movies, then mm-hmm. you mentioned swashbucklers. Yes. Um, and the only, to me, the only rival to Errol Flynn mm-hmm when it comes to buckling swashes yeah, is Douglas Fairbanks, who was the, the dominant Robin hood before, mm-hmm. uh, Errol Flynn, but before he was Robin hood, he was D'Artagnan in 1921's the three musketeers directed by Fred Nilbo, which I think is, um, definitely needs to be considered as one of the first and greatest action movies mm-hmm. because, uh, yeah, the the swashbuckling is just oh man! It's you'll never see finer bu- swashbuckling. Yeah, you can't get these <laughs> swashes loose. Yeah. They're buckled so thoroughly. Um, and it goes back to what I'm talking about about movement. Is that he's just constantly jumping, darting, running, somersaulting, and mm-hmm. th- through it all, there's the choreography yeah. of the um, uh, of, of the swordplay. And so I think. Again, as far as what defined action defines action for me, it's I think there needs to be a sort of controlled chaos in a way. You know, um, it needs to be like uh, um, to go to a more modern example, Serenity, the movie Serenity, okay, or or any of the Star Wars movies where they have to go through an asteroid belt right. or whatever. In Serenity, it's the Reavers are shooting these long spike things at them Mm -hmm. and it's incredibly tense and they're just all they're just thinking like it seems like they're just thinking one second at a time just get out of the way get out of the way get out of the way but the filmmaker has the whole plan whole thing planned out and then you come out on the other end it's like oh it's almost like a scary movie you know what i mean like at the end the filmmaker usually um unless they're mean is like i got you you know uh and i feel like that's a good action sequence is that it any moment of it might feel completely chaotic, but there's a design, there's a plan to all of it. And I think that's something that makes good action for me. And that's certainly what makes the swashbuckling movies is that, uh, they are in the more, in the most literal sense, they are action movies. And that just Douglas Fairbanks and Errol Flynn are just running around the entire time, jumping on horses, swinging from curtains, doing all kinds of stuff, uh, and doing the amazingly choreographed sword play throughout it. And then it all feels of a, of a piece, uh, feels of a whole controlled chaos is, I think a really great way to describe it. And one, uh, a way that is very helpful for me. Um, I was actually thinking, uh, sorry, of course, in talking about early action, we wind up talking about modern action as well. Um, yeah, you gotta make these connections. I was thinking about aliens and, you know, we regularly talk about how alien is a horror sci-fi and aliens is an action sci-fi. And while it's still the, a horror movie, though, oh sure, absolutely, yeah, um, yeah but it's action. Yeah. And while undoubtedly there are moments of genuine action, uh, 
I realized that so much of aliens is people standing stationary shooting as the aliens come towards them, which is a horror trope more than a, than an action one. Now, of course there, you also have, you know, these, the, the plane trying to out, you know, outrun an explosion. You've got the, uh, you've got the, the, what is it? APV, all personnel, vehicle or something like that i don't remember anyway but the like thing that's just grinding the, yeah yeah it's just grinding metal like they've blown the tr- it's it works fine until they blow the transaxle um Ugh. at which point they are just grinding metal yeah um afi 100 years 100 quotes <laughs> number one with a bullet <laughs> Uh, one of the highlights of Battleship Pretension for me was that conversation <laughs> with Wayne Fetterman. Which you can find, aliens by the commentary. way, if you don't have it yet, and go to our premium content and get our Aliens commentary. We did a whole day of Aliens movies. Yes. Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection. Uh, and they're available. The whole You get the whole kit and caboodle for 10 bucks. That's right. And you can hear us with Wayne Fetterman talk about Aliens and specifically <laughs> the classic unforgettable line. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> You've blown the transaxle. You're just grinding metal. Oh man! Which Wayne cited as his favorite line to talk about with his friends. <laughs> I don't know how much material they could mine from that. Well, we but, got a fair amount. Uh, that's of it. true, but it was uh, mostly us just laughing at Wayne. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I, so I actually had had a, a hard time for a while thinking of Aliens as a full-on action movie. Uh, especially in the moments with like, it's like, Oh, is it just cause they're like shooting guns and stuff or what? Uh-huh. Um, but putting it a certain way, which is you, you, the audience, you are breathless and you are glued to the screen and it seems chaotic. And it occurred to me that the, the momentum, the forward movement is in the editing. It's not necessarily always in the characters moving. It is in the director moving our attention very quickly. And again, keeping us, uh, you know, uh, in suspense, but also you can't really say that those sequences are pure suspense either because there are people just firing, uh, weapons in all directions. And so along those lines to go to now go back a little bit, um, have you ever seen my darling Clementine? I never have. It's very good. I don't love it. It's very good. And the sequence at the end, essentially the, the shootout, um, which is definitely stretched out quite a bit. Uh, and it is, it is suspenseful, uh, but there are a lot of people like jumping behind things and then shooting and that sort of thing. And every once in a while, somebody gets hit. And and it really, uh, I mean, it's John Ford, of course, who is good at this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, it really, I, it feels like uh, an action sequence, and I'd say more specifically, it feels like a modern action sequence. Um, it's a really well put together uh, moment. Hmm. Um, did you ever see Man of the West with uh, Gary Cooper directed by Anthony Mann? I did not. Um, it, so it also has a climactic shootout that feels less like action and more like suspense. Yeah, because it's just it's not a big chaotic shootout. It's like two guys in an abandoned town that are doing more trying to stay away from each other and learn yeah. each other into their traps and they are just like shooting at each other. But the thing, the reason I always think about it is that, uh, you know, we complain about movie trailers these days, giving way too much of the movie. 
watch go watch the original theatrical oh, yeah. trailer from Man of the West, which literally shows you the entire ending of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, it's, I, I anytime we talk about old trailers, I just I want to quote uh our friend uh Jimmy Pardo uh-huh. uh who on his show once talked about the old trailer for planet of the apes, which of course many of them at the time, many trailers at the time had a narrator and like they really need, if it was a high concept movie, they really needed to let you yeah. know what you're expected. And so it should be going, the apes talk, the people don't <laughs> <laughs> in planet of the apes. Yeah. Um, talk, I mean, narrated trailers only really died out like at the end of the nineties. Yeah. Like into the nineties, it was still, because it was, uh, was the name Don LaFontaine. Don LaFontaine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's the inner world guy, but yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Did he maybe say that once? Like it, it, that got turned into a thing that we all, yeah. that they all say what he would more do is like give you the character, the quick character background. Like John McClane is a New York cop. <laughs> yeah. I can't do the great Don, <laughs> Don LaFontaine voice, but, uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy how dated those sound now. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think we'll ever actually go back to them, um, at least not for a while, because I think people our age will hear them and just start laughing, Yeah, even if it's a dramatic... Uh, they do it with foreign films. Uh, they will have a narrator for foreign films because they want to downplay the fact that people are not speaking English. I mean, that, that is part of it, uh, downplaying the fact that people are speaking English in foreign films, but also part of it is that trailers tend to consist of shorter cuts and you can't necessarily read right. an entire subtitle, you know, um, cause I've seen foreign trailers that are essentially just like take a scene from the movie mm-hmm. and you can do that with subtitles. But if you're doing, if you think about how a trailer is cut, yeah. you can't have, you, you won't be able to read it all yeah. uh, in, in the time. You know, I, I know from when I was doing closed captioning, it takes like uh, a, a couple seconds, you know, uh, right. to read, um, to read a subtitle and no. a lot of these shots that are shorter than that. Yeah. Like you have to read it and then contextualize uh-huh. it and you're like, yeah, yeah that's not going to happen in a trailer. Um, but so to go back to, uh, what is it? Man of the West, you said, mm-hmm. and then, uh, my darling Clementine and movies like the searchers. Um, I mean, I would consider these action movies, but because they are Westerns first, I feel like, well, a big part of the Western is, uh, you know, horses and, uh, and yes, of course, trains, um, (laughs) and gunfire. And so since those things, which also tend, which can also signify, uh, action, uh, and chase and, you know, chase scenes and that sort of thing. Um, I feel like that's, it's almost like West, the the Western genre claimed those first. And mm-hmm. so it's just like, yeah, yeah, there's action, but that's just because it's a Western yeah. in the same way that I don't think anybody would say, you know, Sands, Sands of Iwo Jima is an action movie yeah. because it's a war movie. Yeah. War, and I don't war think, I mean, is action. Uh, it is. But I do think if I had to, if I had to rank elements of action movie, I feel like for me, the chase would be at the number would be, at the top. Sure. Then there'd be like hand to hand combat. Yeah. Then there'd be shootouts. Mm-hmm. And then an explosion is like, it's an element of an action movie, but explosion itself is not action. Really? Is it? I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I think it, I think it probably is. I think it, you know what? I think it's all about the lead up. 
Uh-huh. If the lead up is we're simply, you know, if it's touch of evil or something like that, and we're waiting for the explosion, now okay. it's a function of suspense and less action. But, but I if think it's if a it's surprise, just, like children of men, right? The very beginning of children of yeah, men, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, um, it's hard. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's, say. but children of men is, has a chase, has a chase element. Children yeah. of men has, is a movie. Well, we talked about movies that like, aren't horror movies, but have horror elements. We've talked about movies that aren't Christmas movies, but have Christmas elements. Yeah. Children of Men, I don't really think of as an action movie, but it has multiple action set pieces. Oh, in no it. question about it. I think people would definitely see it as an action movie. The, I mean, officially it's a sci-fi, but it's so, I think it's so steeped in action mm-hmm. that uh, I think people probably see it that way first. Um, and that's one where the chaos is, in my opinion, a bit too carefully controlled. Um, I, yeah, I know that's a problem that you've had, and I, but I, I, I don't know because I feel I kind of feel the same way about Gravity, but it didn't keep me from liking Gravity. Although I don't love Gravity, I feel like Gravity is a very superficial experience. Yeah, which um, is not a crime, uh, um, right? Yeah, but yeah. it it also keeps it from being one of my favorite movies of that year. Um, um, yeah. Okay, so um, Wait, let me ask I you have, this. Oh, okay. uh, sorry, would you say Gravity is an action movie? Uh, I probably wouldn't have, but yeah, I, I do think Gravity is an action movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. That's the thing is it's why, you know, because on top of discussing um, the auteur theory in class, I'm also talking about genre Mm -hmm. and in talking about genre. Yes, obviously, there's like Western sci fi film noir like they're the easy ones you can point to drama, comedy, not genres. And action, I think, is not a genre because just like comedy, the set pieces or gags uh, can work their way into all these other things. And and it's to the point where I feel like it's it's hard to (laughs) action is almost like what people said, what that one guy said about uh, that one guy. I think it was a politician uh, said about porn. It's like I know it when I see it. Right. Yeah, but I find it hard. But I I find it hard to de- officially define. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I agree with that guy. By the way, no, I don't think I do I either. Feel like but pornography is. I think you can define it pretty easily. But you know, I, I was. We'll talk about this more when we do our AFI Fest thing in a couple couple weeks. But I was actually thinking about how you define porn because mm-hmm. there was a movie that I saw at AFI that had very explicit, non simulated sex oh my it was a documentary you know it was just the thing you were watching on your phone (laughs) while you were yeah (laughs) but like i would not think of this movie as being pornographic and i feel like porn pornography has more to do with intent than content do you know what i mean no question about it um and so i feel like that's that's what I tell. I, I can't remember. Was it a, a politician or was it a Supreme court justice? Or? It was, it was during a hearing of some okay, kind and yeah. I don't remember which it was. Um, that's what, that's what I'd tell that guy. It's about, it's about what it's aiming to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, um, I have one more silent movie. Okay. That was a late, a late edition. Cause I didn't actually think of it as an action movie, but then you mentioned adventure, mm-hmm. uh, the lost world, the 1925 okay. silent movie about, um, a plateau in the jungles of South America where dinosaurs have survived all, all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, that has action, um, has action in it because they're like fighting monsters or monsters are fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I do think that there is a distinction to be made between action movies and adventure movies. Right. 
Um, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. And I know a lot of times if you go back to the old video store days, sometimes the thing would say action slash adventure yeah. as one genre. Um, but I don't necessarily think that they're, you know, I think of like, um, blood diamond. Okay. I feel like that's kind of an adventure movie and obviously has like some geopolitical right. stuff going on, but I think of it as an adventure movie and it has shootouts and stuff. I don't really think of it as an action movie. I would definitely see it more as an, okay. So, all right, here we go. Here we go. All right. So adventure, what is the, what is the definition of adventure versus action? I do think adventure tends to be, tends to be a bit more whimsical. Um, I tend to think that in an adventure movie, it seems it it is almost always, I think a heightened version of reality, a stylized version of reality where even if even if the the threat is just other people, the villain is usually uh, kind of over the top and yeah. and that sort of thing. And so, based on that, I feel like Blood Diamond, while having certain adventure trappings, like for example, Congo, <laughs> where David, you are the endangered species, specifically me, you. Um, <laughs> so don't go there, David. Uh, it's. I do think that I do. I would think of blood diamond more as, as an action movie. But let me tell you this. Okay. Let me say this because you mentioned, and I agree with you that action is not necessarily a genre. I would say adventure is more of a genre because I, I adventure it does too. suggest certain things about the story, about, yeah. about a, a character or a group of characters embarking on a dangerous journey to yeah. achieve some generally lofty goal. Yes. Right. And, and it, I, I do find that adventure tends not to have a tremendous amount of weight. People die and you still care, mm-hmm. but it's never going to be quite as impactful emotionally as if, you know, when a character dies in a, a an action film or certainly a drama, um, you know, which is why to go back to a movie that we were talking about for longer than one would have expected with Gordy Hoffman, the Meg, uh, I view it much less as a horror movie and much more as an adventure Um, because uh, adventure isn't necessarily ensemble, but I do think it lends itself to an ensemble. Yeah. But there are solo adventure movies, right? I mean, yeah, I I mean, I guess Indiana Jones, but that Raiders of the Lost Ark is kind of solo. You got Karen Allen, but she needs to be rescued half the time. And you've got by the the, the last crusade. That is, you get more of an ensemble. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, and then that was the last uh, Indiana Jones movie, right? As far as I'm concerned, yeah. Indiana Jones movies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Just want to make sure I wasn't missing any Indiana Jones movies. Then there was just, just uh, some the three, some asylum ripoff uh, version. <laughs> I don't remember, but didn't didn't cr- really. No one was buying yeah. it. Yeah, Ohio Smith. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move out of the silent era then. And well, I already mentioned Avengers of Robin Hood. But, I mean, that's um, the first one that I think of. Like, if you mention early action, that's the one that I'll think of. But at the same time, I feel like that could very easily be classified as adventure. As I think most, like, we use the, the term too much, but like swashbuckling, I think most of those will be seen as adventure. But the thing is, there's no... Because I use the word journey to describe adventure movies, and neither of the Three Musketeers right. or... Uh, I mean, I think there are, I think there are other D'Artagnan stories that would be adventure, but like the main three Musketeers story 
Uh, no, that, that has an adventure because he does set out. Anyway, it's not important. But Robin Hood isn't really an adventure because right. he's not going on a journey. He's staying home. That's yeah. his whole thing is he's staying home to protect his homeland from uh, domestic threats. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I don't know if I do consider it uh, adventure based on the criteria yeah. that I laid out two and a half minutes ago and had never thought of before that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, the whole point of this podcast, this episode at least is that Adventures of Robin Hood is a great movie. Yeah. Um, I feel like you already covered a lot of Westerns ground. Um, although there's one I'm saving for the end. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did. I, I, I'm worked on the searchers as a movie that is not an action movie, but it has action, elements in terms yeah. of it has shootouts and it is right. the whole movie is a kind of chase yeah. uh, in a way and also kind of a journey if we want to go back to the adventure thing yeah um but, but were there yeah. any other westerns that you had on your um list? there's a, probably a ton we could think of yeah oh undoubtedly um but i do think that yeah the so many you know so many uh westerns are not unlike uh robin hood like people defending where they are right now. So they're not necessarily traveling and there tends not to be like a big chase. But what you do get is stuff like Rio Bravo or El Dorado, which is people kind of hold up in a place and have, they have to defend it from a lot of gunmen and that sort of thing. So I was thinking, I mean, this is obviously Rio Bravo's, I'm not making the case that Rio Bravo is a horror movie, but it's also, um, not coincidental that there are a number of horror movies that kind of lift the premise oh, yeah. of Rio Bravo. And I was thinking about, because I wrote a review again, we'll talk about this in the AFI episode. Uh, but I wrote a review of Susanna Beer's bird box, mm-hmm. uh, which I went uh, which I saw at the festival. And that is, uh, of a genre that I would consider survival horror, yeah. which is a, a term that I've realized is mostly used for video games, but there are survival horror movies as mm-hmm. well. Um, and Rio Bravo kind of, is like a prototype of a survival horror movie, except it's not horror because there's nothing like supernatural. They're not keeping out like demons or yeah. whatever, like, or, it's or like vampires. assault on precinct 13. Yeah. Yeah. But even that, like John Carpenter brought horror elements by making, um, the attackers mostly like faceless yeah. silhouettes that they could, it could be a zombie movie, you know, Very much or so. it could be from dust till dawn, which is a kind of, mm-hmm. uh, man from dust till dawn. I, I didn't talk about a movie journal, but I watched it again recently. Mm-hmm. Fearful that it wouldn't hold up. It's so good from yeah. Dustal Dawn. It is such a great movie. And I really, uh, it, you know, I, I know I'm, if anyone listening to this, younger people don't know much about the movie. I'm going to spoil something. But the thing is, here's the thing. It was spoiled for all of us by the advertising. Yes. But if you ever get a chance to watch from dust till dawn with someone who doesn't know it's a vampire movie, it's, it must be the most fun experience in the world because it is there or, are, or a very disappointing experience <laughs> because there are zero hints that it's a vampire movie yeah. until more than 45 minutes of the way, more than halfway through the movie. Yeah. And then Selma Hayek turns into a vampire and then everyone turns into a vampire and it's fucking crazy. Yeah. And then it still manages to be a good movie. Uh, after that, I was really surprised by, uh, how much from dust on holds up. Um, 
and kind of disappointed that Robert Rodriguez is another guy like uh, Tim He's Burton. He's like Tim Burton. I, I was just yeah, having that thought. Yeah, that I don't really get excited for his movies anymore. But from Dustin Alonso, I couldn't even tell you the last movie he put out. Um, I know he has, but I. He's someone I don't even keep track of anymore. Yeah, he must have put out something since. Was it like Machete Two? Would that have been his last? I don't know. I'm looking him up because um, he did. Okay, he did the three Spy Kids movies, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. He did he Once Upon a Time in Mexico. He, he did, did Sin City. Uh, oh, I forgot about Sin City. Um, there's the two Machete movies. There's another one that I'm missing here. Uh, okay, let's yeah, see. I don't remember. Uh, it would appear he's done. Uh, a surprising amount of TV. Well, oh, maybe this was from Dust of Dawn series. Yeah. Um, which and I watched. He the did first one episode. called Matador. He did the Sin City sequel. I didn't know that. Um, he's done a number of short films. Okay. He did Planet Terror, uh, which right, is half of Grindhouse. Of, but that's over um, 10 years ago now. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And like looking at this, yeah, he really is not, I mean, upcoming projects. There are seven. Um, okay. Under rumored uh, Escape from New York. Oh, right. Yeah. We don't need that. And then there's a movie called Machete Kills in Space, which. Oh, I've heard about. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that'll ever happen. But, um, um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll get back to the topic. But yeah, From Dust to Sun's great. Another movie that I feel like I've, that I've stood by since it came out, and I feel like people are starting to come around on it is the faculty. Oh Faculty's yeah. an awesome, awesome movie. Yeah. That's sort of a, um, horror, but also has some action elements to mm-hmm. it because he's Robert Rodriguez and he can't not because he no. does action really well. Yeah. No. Uh, when he's, when he's doing it well, uh, anyway, um, so back to the topic at hand, uh, which is how good from dust to dawn is no, um, post Westerns. And now we're getting, we're, we're, I'm into the fifties now. Well, okay. So let me suggest this in the thirties, you know, I'm going to be talking about another genre. You had gangster pictures. So you've got Tommy guns. You do have car chases. Yeah. Uh, They're usually not remarkably in depth, but you certainly have, you know, people driving along and shooting their Tommy guns out of their cars like that by any, by any definition of action like that fits. Um, but it is rooted within it's rooted in this genre. And so I don't think anybody would think of little Caesar or Scarface yeah. or public enemy or any of those as action movies, though they feature quite a bit of action. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got certainly you more into, so than modern gangster movies, I think. Um, yeah. And you get into noir, which I was also, yeah, has chases and shootouts and stuff. I'm yeah. thinking of, um, Speaking of Anthony Mann, he walked by night. Mm-hmm. There's a movie that uh, ends with an awesome foot chase over roofs, rooftops, and into sewers. It's a really good movie. There's that um, wonderful sequence in Gun Crazy. Oh God! Yeah, where you're good. inside the car yeah. uh, as a bank robbery is. That's happening. an action sequence. Yeah, yeah. Um, then you've got like monster movies that have action. You know, from like King Kong to yeah, yeah King Kong to I them. Think. Yeah. Um, so and and then. Uh, a movie that I watched, I say recently because I'm old now and things that happened a year and a half ago still seem somewhat recent mm-hmm. to me. So somewhat recently I rewatched North by Northwest. Oh yeah. And that I feel like has so many, at this point 
with North by the Northwest and everything I'm going to mention from here on now out, we're getting to where action movies almost exist yeah. in, the, in the thing, in the way that we th- think of them now. Yeah. And North by the Northwest has multiple sequences like the plane, uh, the, the crop duster plane yeah. and like the, uh, Mount Rushmore thing yeah. uh, at the end that feel like cinema in general, just sort of dipping its toes into, yeah. into action. I also should mention we've talked almost exclusively uh, I think exclusively about American movies. I was going to say because like I don't, Kurosawa has a lot of action in his movies. Yeah, that's a that's a good point because I know when I think of action movies now, one of the first things I think of is is kung fu movies or wuxia movies or those sort of things. But I don't. I will admit that I'm not steeped enough in the history of those to. I'm assuming, yeah, like you said, this Kurosawa. I'm assuming wuxia movies didn't just materialize out of nothing in the 1970s. No. There's clearly something leading up to them. I just don't know about it. And like, if we're if we're looking at something like The Adventures of Robin Hood as an action movie, uh, because of these amazing sword fights and stuff, then obvi- then like Hidden Fortress absolutely counts. As does uh, maybe not Rashomon, but certainly Seven Samurai um, and. Uh, Others that, uh, well, I mean, yeah. I think it could be argued that even something like Throne of Blood, which, yes, is a Shakespearean adaptation, and but it still features. Have you ever seen Throne of Blood? I've never seen Throne of Blood. Oh, it's it is marvelous. It's I think Rashomon is still my favorite of his, but I think Throne of Blood, Throne of Blood is a close second. Yeah. Um, the sequence where the Macbeth character dies is it's horrific. It's suspenseful. It's action packed. It is a really marvelous sequence. Oh yeah. Um, real quick while we're on subject of Japan, uh, I love Kenji, uh, Kenji Mizuguchi's the 47 Ronin because it's a four sure. hour movie about samurai that has exactly one sword fight in the entire movie. It's an awesome sword fight, Yeah, but it's f- four hours of samurai sitting around and talking. And I love it. It's a great movie. Um, but while on the subject of Shakespeare, what about the foot chase in, uh, Orson Welles Othello through the bathhouse? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, that counts. Um, yeah. and, Speaking of Orson Welles and chases, what about the sewer chase in Third Man? Uh-huh. No one, I don't think anybody would argue, argue that Third Man is an action movie, but that is a sequence yeah. that I don't know. It's it, like there's there's going to be so much overlap between suspense and action, and that sequence I think maybe falls more under suspense than action, but it is. It, there's certainly a lot of forward momentum in that sequence, more so than any other moment in the film Mm -hmm. um and so yeah uh but i think in yeah getting into the 50s and certainly the 60s yes partially because well now you're getting into admittedly spy movies but you're getting to james bond james bond is then literally the next thing on my list because that is where you start to wonder where the lines blur dr no doesn't really feel like an action movie in fact right i remember sometimes i forget I don't know if uh, sometimes we've seen comedians do bits on mm. stage. And I don't know if they ever, but Pat Oswalt, did you ever the, his bit about Dr. No that he used to so. do on stage, which is the idea that they had this great action movie theme song, mm-hmm. but there's not enough action in Dr. No to justify it. Mm-hmm. So it's like James Bond unpacking his suitcase in the hotel room. That's true. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, but yeah, you those get increasingly to where, um, uh, what's the one, um, for your eyes only, right? Sure. Or is it you only live twice? Which one? <laughs> I, I always get them mixed up. It's you only live twice. Yes. For your eyes only is Timothy Dalton. Uh, that sounds right to me. 
right? I think it's you only live twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's where you're getting into the Austin Powers type stuff with the enormous yeah. underground layers, and so you're yeah. you're there. He's blown away scores of henchmen, yeah. and there's explosions, and he's running. Um, and so, yeah, those those spy movies definitely uh, the the James Bond movies over the course of the '60s because that one is '67, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Let's see. I'm not good with years at this point. Well, Doctor No '62. And so I think for Rush with Love, there was like one a year at a, at a time there. So for Rush with Love is 63, Goldfinger 64, right. Thunderball is 65. And then I think there's a two year gap or is Thunderball 66. There's a two year gap in there somewhere. I think it's between, it's either between Goldfinger and Thunderball or between Thunderball and you only have twice. But in any case, you end up at 1967 mm-hmm. twice. And then um, there's a break until. Uh, whatever the next one is. So by then you get into the seventies and, right. uh, and you don't have to worry about whether or not it's an action movie because the seventies we're allowed to say it's an action movie <laughs> by our rules. Well, and, and that's the thing is, so when I think of a modern action movie, um, it usually takes place in modern day. It's not a period film. That's a great thought. A great I think, thought. yeah, I think uh, so many, I mean, Obviously, when they were making gangster pictures, they weren't necessarily period pieces. Sometimes they were maybe like, this takes place seven years ago. But I think they were definitely supposed to be modern day, but they were still gangster movies. And so, whether it be Western, war movies, swashbucklers or something like that, like action was seen as something that took place in the past, I guess. Um and I think maybe starting with the seventies, yes, right. They were often still cops and, you know, so you could say, Oh, it's the cop genre, but I don't think that necessarily qualifies. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think bringing action into the modern day is, I think that might be one of the things, whether people acknowledge it or not, that might be where the concept of the official action right. movie yeah. started. Um, another one from the sixties that I want to mention that I think before I had had when I was, you know, probably I was still in film school before I'd had, you know, uh, the years of sophistication experience that sure. I have now. Uh, and I hadn't really thought about when action movies started. I do specifically remember seeing the great escape for the first time. Sure. And that's a very long movie. The most of it is not action, but Steve McQueen on the motorcycle near the end when he's trying to get away and he's jumping over the barbed wire fence on the mm-hmm. motorcycle. I remember feeling at the time like, wow, this seems early for this kind of thing. Yeah. Cause it really is a full on action sequence in a movie from what year is 68? What year is the great escape? Even earlier than that? I don't know. You're usually the one who's good with years is the thing. That's why in, I always ask you uh, about movies I've seen. Oh, you never seen the great escape? No, it's, it's fun. It's very long. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, oh, 63. So even earlier, Oh wow. Uh, okay. two hours and 52 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, well, another one from the sixties that I wanted to mention as something that I also thought the first time I saw this as a movie that has an action scene in it <laughs> that is laughable by today's standards. Okay. And that's the Manchurian Candidate, where Frank sure. Sinatra does karate at, <laughs> that's right. at, at half speed. <laughs> um, that, that I, I love the Manchurian Candidate so much, but that like fight in the apartment yeah. is almost laughable uh, at how how old and slow and clunky it feels now. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> do you think that 
more so than anything else is what inspired the Pink Panther <laughs> and the idea of Cato uh-huh. coming out, uh, you know, right. um, yeah. so as far as like the action comedy and the idea of chases and, and, you know, these races against time and that sort of thing, uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world has a lot of really great action sequences. Yeah, um, probably I haven't seen that since I was a kid, but it, I used to love it. It, up until the very end holds up. Okay. And then the end is just like, okay, it's, we've been watching a while. Stanley Kramer, uh, <laughs> you know, I realize I, I don't remember if he made that before or after judgment at Nuremberg, but, uh, he seemed to want it to be as long one way or another. Um, um, yeah, it, it's funny. you think, you think of kids of ha- as having short attention spans, but when I was a kid, I would think because I had it on tape mm-hmm. and I would think nothing of throwing in some mad, 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 mad world yeah. because I, it was like a summer Saturday. I didn't have shit to do yeah. and I could just watch a movie for three hours and it would carry you through till Sunday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, one of my favorite, uh, we watched it back when I would go to movie night with Scott and our friend Josh and Kyle Anderson and stuff Before the falling out. Before yeah. the, the incident. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's unspeakable. Um, we watched it's a mad, 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 mad world. And I hadn't seen it since, yeah, since I was a kid and there are scenes in it that are so hysterical. And some of them are just, are the kind of thing that a kid, a kid would absolutely adore, but it's delivered so well. Um, so like Ethel, I think it's Ethel Merman that's in it. Right. Uh-huh. And she is with, uh, Oh my gosh. His name is now, Oh, that's, it's killing me. He always does like, he always did like weird voices and he was like a, a larger gentleman. Uh, his name escapes me. But, uh, anyway, um, he, oh, that's going to kill me because it's, it's right there. Yeah, listeners are Jonathan Winters. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. oh man, did you ever, this is going back to the big early days of, uh, WTF with Mark Merrill. Oh yeah. Ooh, heavy stuff. stuff. Definitely lending credence to the idea that all comedians are <laughs> fucked up people. Yeah. He had a rough past, a rough past. Um, but, uh, anyway, so he's playing kind of this good natured lummox as he tends to do, mm-hmm. uh, tended to do, pardon me. And, uh, so whereas Ethel Merman is just this loud mouth, like mother-in-law character and they, they find themselves together and, uh, and he, and she's just insulting him. And finally he like threatens her and she's like, you're not going to do anything now. Drive on you big stupid idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like you big stupid idiot. Uh-huh. You don't get more nine years old than that. Uh-huh. But as a 30 something, when I watched it, I laughed so hard. Be- I think it was because it was so dismissive of what he might be feeling. Oh man, it's good. <laughs> And then, and then like there's a cameo by Jerry Lewis where a guy like drops his hat in the street and he Mm -hmm. wants to go get it. And then it just cuts to Jerry Lewis looking ridiculous as he's driving a car down the street, sees a hat and just immediately goes for it and just (laughs) runs it right over. And then Jerry Lewis is, is gone from the film. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Uh, yeah. Jerry Lewis problematic fave, I guess. Okay. Uh, because of his repeated assertions that women weren't funny, mm. um, like, n- like, l- <laughs> including late into his life, <laughs> yeah. still saying something like that. Uh, it's a real bummer because he, he was really, really funny. Um, 
Oh, so speaking of action comedy, and I don't want to uh, step on the toes of the next next week's episode, mm-hmm. but Smoking the Bandit. Oh, sure. Uh, is a full-on car chase. And I didn't even think of it until you mentioned the hat because of one of my favorite lines when um, <laughs> when Jackie Gleason's... Uh, what's his name? The, uh, I can't remember. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but the, his son or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Loses his hat, his hat. He's like, my hat flew off. And he was like, I wish your head was with it. Or yeah. Something like that. <laughs> it's something like, I wish your goddamn head was in it. Or something like <laughs> That's that. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to say, I, uh, don't, I don't say goddamn very often uh but as a comedy swear word mm-hmm. it is hard to beat if you do it just right like and <laughs> and jackie gleason because he said it a fair amount in that movie oh my god yeah and Give me a Diablo time. sandwich and a Dr. Pepper and make it quick. I'm in a goddamn hurry. I think it's like really hitting the D's like, uh-huh. the, like a goddamn, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I feel like, and the other one is the one that I always laugh at is big Lebowski. When David Hiddleston is like the goddamn plane has crashed into the mountain. <laughs> um, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, it just wouldn't be as funny if they didn't say that. All um, right. We need to wrap up. Yeah. Cause we got more to do tonight. There was one last one I wanted to get to. Okay. Uh, in terms of going back to Westerns, but also right on the cusp of the 1970s. Um, one thing we ha- we've talked about shootouts and stuff, but um, I think one thing that, and you talked about people dying in adventure movies and it meaning something. One thing that happens once you get into the 1970s is that action movies, as they become real things, become more and more violent. Mm-hmm. And the wild bunch oh, is yeah. a movie that cannot be overlooked in the history of action movies, even if it's not, really an action movie based on their criteria. Yeah. And I, I would pair it with Bonnie and Clyde, um, right. which came out, I think two years two before. Years before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, for the record, uh, listeners, if you've not seen the wild bunch, uh, you owe it to yourself as a fan of film uh-huh. to watch it. I adore the wild bunch on every See, level. I love it. I, I mean, I also think it's great, but I find it, hard to watch it is hard to watch but i really really love it yeah uh yeah and it is it definitely steps it up i mean it's certainly i think it i think it could count as a revisionist western um okay simply by having all of these characters be so thoroughly unpleasant right um and so and and the fact of of just like yeah we're gonna show every gunshot and every wound and we're going to have blood all over the place. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I almost said Sam Fuller, Sam Peckinpah. Sam Peckinpah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, and I do think that it's while still, while yes, thoroughly a Western, I do feel like it is something of an action milestone mm-hmm. as well. Um, I think you can, I don't know. I don't know if, filmmakers of the seventies were specifically influenced by it, but I think you can definitely point to it as like, okay, there was action before whether it be Western or otherwise. Uh-huh. And now there's action after. And, uh, yeah, there's, it's different now. Well, this has been a great conversation. We should wrap up. Sure. Thank you for, uh, well, I'll say that in a little bit. You can find us at battleshipretention.com. That's where you can find all sorts of, uh, stuff, including this week right now. Oh, by the way, happy Thanksgiving. This is the last time we'll talk to you before Thanksgiving. That's we'll be recording right. another episode, you and I, before Thanksgiving. Well, this is yes. the last, but I won't be posting until after. So, happy I'll, Thanksgiving, everybody. And along those lines, I will say, I know that you laugh at the idea of, like, uh, meetups and stuff. I don't but laugh at it. 
it makes me uh, unbearably queasy. Fair but enough. But that's me. Um, that's not the listeners. So I'm going to be in Chicago uh, over Thanksgiving. I'm going to be there for uh, 10 full days. And the day after Thanksgiving, so Friday the 23rd, I want to say, um, that sounds right to me. Um, I am going to be doing a, a sort of a meetup. I will be there. Our writer, uh, Aaron Pinkston, will be there. Awesome. Um, and as well as uh, a couple other people. And so if you are interested in coming and hanging out and talking movies and that sort of thing, uh, just email me, Tyler, at battleshippretension.com. It will officially be at D'Agostino's at oh, yeah. uh, Southport and Addison, um, right by the music box, if you are familiar with it which i assume if you're listening to this and you live in chicago you probably are yeah um but yeah so it'll be at eight o'clock at d'agostino's uh let me know ahead of time uh so that i know uh to potentially uh tell them to add more seats um real quick and we're not doing movie journal this week because of scheduling we will do it eventually but i wanted to ask because i know you and i have both seen widows Mm -hmm. did widows make you miss chicago at all well, a lot of it takes place, I feel like, in a part of Chicago that I wasn't that familiar with. I feel like a lot okay. of it was... I mean, they're talking about the Green Line and stuff, so I feel like yeah. they're on the south side, which I wasn't super familiar with. But, but on multiple occasions, they go to the Fireside Bowl, which is a place that I used to hang out at a lot. Mm-hmm. Now it's a bowling alley once again, mm-hmm. because I think my understanding is the city of Chicago made them... When I was going there, it was a bar and a music venue that had bowling lanes, but mm-hmm. they weren't really functional. I think the city of Chicago, for like zoning reasons, they're like, hey, you need to, this needs to be a bowling alley or else we're going to like charge you more or something. It was a weird yeah. thing. So they shut down briefly and revamped it and made it actual working bowling alley again. So I never actually bowled at the Fireside Bowl. Yeah. But the fact that they, there's like a, three or four scenes in Widows of the Fireside Bowl. Yeah. And Kevin J. O'Connor plays the owner. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that part specifically, I was like, oh, I've sat at that bar. And at that table and yeah i did i guess i did miss it a little bit and there's one sequence that uh we'll talk about in a couple weeks i guess uh where steve mcqueen makes a very interesting choice to feature a conversation that's inside a car but he never takes us inside the car instead as the car is driving he treats us to long stretches of chicago Chicago. yeah so that was kind of nice all right so um yeah, there's all sorts of movie reviews right now uh, from me and Scott um, from the AFI Fest. And me, I, uh, I wrote the review for Widows. Uh, but I'm saying from AFI Fest, okay. there's me and Scott. And yes, there's also reviews from Tyler. Um, and uh, I feel like someone else posted a review uh, this week. Maybe not. Well, um, and then there's a new uh, video series uh, being kicked off by yeah. uh, Alexander Miller. Yeah. So yes. in which uh, he's commenting on uh, trailers yeah. so that we don't have to, which is nice. That's great. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's all at battleshipretension.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Davey pretension or at Tyler pretension. Anything going on on more than one lesson this week? Uh, not this week. And I, and probably not for the next few weeks just because I'm going to be out right. of town. Um, yeah, I'm kind of thinking of, of restructuring more than one lesson and making it not so much, not so much weekly as just, if I see a movie that strikes my fancy, I'll do it. Um, so there will probably be long stretches of nothing, but there are still reviews and there are still episodes of fear of God and that sort of thing. So there's still stuff to do at more than one lesson.com, but, uh, the podcast is definitely going to be, uh, reformatted. Well, until, uh, so again, happy Thanksgiving until then. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.